Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A That's Not Gun kind of Productions podcast. And welcome to another guest episode of Oof, Right in the Childhood. I'm here today with Stargate Pioneer from several different podcasts, including Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. SP, why don't you say hi to the listeners? Hi, listeners. I'm SP, and I'm really honored to be here because Jen knows a lot about Disney. Well, I'm learning more and more as I do more research. But uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, I am legitimately a rocket scientist. I'm old enough to have seen a lot of these movies live in the theater, which we'll talk about later. I do a podcast on the general Marvel comic book universe called Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I do a couple other shows as well. And one is on rocket science and the other is on podcasting. So I've been podcasting for about 10 years. And as much as I've been podcasting, it's always exciting to be on a new show. Well, I am super thrilled to have you here and uh, always glad to have someone who knows what they're doing in podcasting because I'm always just faking it for everyone's benefit. Tell you a little secret. We're all faking it. Well, that's always good to know. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So today we're going to be talking about 1977's The Rescuers, which came out the same year as Star Wars, uh, which means, you know, it had a little bit of competition at the box office. Um, but I, I found it really, really interesting reading the history of this movie and where it came from. Uh, but let's start with, uh, what a, like, when do you remember watching this movie the first time? Like what's your earliest memories of the rescuers? This is a, actually a pivotal time in my life. I was about 10 years old. My parents moved towns, suburbs, really, I uh, grew up in the twin cities of Minnesota, St. Paul, Minneapolis, and we moved suburbs that summer. And it was the very first movie that I went to with new friends from that new neighborhood that I knew for years and years and years after that. So I did see it in the theaters right side by side with Star Wars and everything else great that came out that year. Some was too much of adult content for me at the time, like Smoking the Bandit and Slapshot and that sort of thing. But 1977, if you go back and look at the filmography of that year it was an incredible year for movies and for this movie to have done so well in the box office it's really astounding to me considering uh what we're about to talk about later oh yeah there's there's a lot going on in this movie that is a lot um 
But yeah, I thought it was so interesting uh, looking at the history. Do you know what Disney was going to make instead of the rescuers? The, you, what was up against it for the movie to make? I do, but it's just because I read some, you know, I was listening to some of your episodes. I was like, ooh, maybe I should actually get a little bit more knowledge about Disney and, and the making of the movie and that sort of thing. But I'm not very familiar with it. I just, I was shocked when I learned that this was not the film that did, Walt wanted to uh, make. Well, yeah, he, he thought it was too political. And um, I, I talked a little bit about it. Um, my first bonus episode was on the Disney propaganda. Um, and he at the end of the Disney propaganda era, Walt said that he did not plan to ever make propaganda again. So um, I think that this was too close uh, when he first started it. Uh, to to go into that p political scheme. And I actually think it is a very political movie uh, when you really watch it. Yeah, I could see skipping the whole political context of it, especially if you didn't grow up in that era, the, the Cold War era of the United Nations and really understood what it was uh, started out to be and what it eventually became. And this is kind of in the heart of the Cold War when this movie came out and you know, it was made over the course of several years. I think it was actually it was shelved in the 60s, right? Yeah, so it, it, he started in 62, and the one that he started with had a uh, Norwegian poet dissident being held in a fortress far to the north, uh, which sounded a lot like Siberia. And, uh, you know, that whole let's not make Russia too angry attitude in the 60s. Right. Well, it, I guess one could argue whether the United States really cared about that in the 60s or not with its media. But I do think it was a good decision at the time because what we got was a much better movie, I think, especially given the time periods involved. But I, yeah, I, I definitely still see political overtones. Heck, it starts in the United Nations. Oh, it really, really does. Um, but the other one, so they had two animation teams at the time and they would both pitch. Uh, their ideas, and then the the winning team, I guess, uh, got to go. Um, and so the other option uh, by Ken Anderson, who just, I don't know what Ken was going through in his life right then, but he had some stuff going on. His pitch was about um, the monkeys on Gibraltar yep. um, and Adolf Hitler killing all the monkeys on Gibraltar to to take it. Yeah, and them trying to escape back to the United Kingdom, if I remember correctly. Probably. I I don't know. I just kind of looked at it and went, well, now I'm imagining that happy childhood film. <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah, I don't. Wow. It definitely would have been adult. So I think this was d uh, definitely a more serious film than we had. The Rescuers that ultimately was chosen than a lot of them previously were. And definitely, it didn't kick off the Bronze Age, but it was right there at the beginning of it. Well, actually, this one's like right smack dab in the middle of it because, like, uh, the the Aristocats is really the beginning of, of the Disney Bronze Era because that's the first film that Disney had absolutely nothing to do with. Uh, so this is just kind of like right there in the middle of the Bronze Era, um, right before, and it's the beginning of the darkness. Is is kind of how I feel about it because like the Aristocats and and uh, Robin Hood and Winnie the Pooh are still kind of those happy silly whatever movies. You've got a couple of weird like dark tones in both Aristocats and Robin Hood, but this one just 
really goes there and is like, no, no, we are not about sunshine and rainbows anymore. Yeah, you got to get a little bit more serious in your storytelling, which is a little bit. There's so so many extraneous scenes in this movie that could have been used for story and character development rather than just fun sort of animation jokery. And that led to the film just overall being a lot more dark because you just didn't have that uh, character exploitation. I mean, we got some of it, but there were, there's just, look, this movie is what, uh, an hour, barely an hour and 20 minutes long. It's basically a long television episode or maybe two back to back, whatever. I, right. I just had a hard time when I was in this thinking it was a feature film in 1977. Of course, I was 10 years old at the time. So my, my uh, sophistication in watching movies was probably limited to, ooh, look, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching it when I was um, about 16 when it came out on VHS. And, and we will talk about the VHS thing. Um <laughs> Because there was some VHS drama too. Uh, but, you know, to have this be the first movie for Don Bluth uh, with the studi studio, it really shows a change uh, for how the studio was looking at things. And uh, I, can, I think I feel a lot of Don Bluth in this movie looking at it. Yeah, to use a modern technology, it's kind of like Apple after Steve Jobs. And when Tim Cook took over, the company took a definite turn in... Mm -hmm. It's very similar to here. I, I guess for the people that are alive today that don't remember this change back then, that's kind of what it was. It was an entire change in in Disney and and where it was going and where it was compared to when it was when Walt Disney actually started the endeavors. I mean, you had the theme park that had been going on for quite a few years, and to have somebody else come in with a different creative direction or at least his own spin on the creative direction. It manifested itself in this film. Boy, did it. Um, yeah. And so, uh, and I, I kept looking at Penny as I was watching it. And I kept thinking about um, watching All Dogs Go to Heaven as a kid. And I kept thinking, I think Penny and Anne-Marie could be sisters. Like, Probably. they're so similarly drawn. And I, I couldn't stop looking at it like, oh, this is very, like, I'd never really seen the Bluth in it because I didn't know that it was Bluth. You know, uh, when, when you watch it as a kid, you're just like, movie, excellent, yay. <laughs> right. I mean, even the, the main villain here had tone, overtones of uh, Cruella de Vil, basically, from 101 Dalmatians. Oh, absolutely. In fact, they, they planned her to be Cruella de Vil for a while, and I think that was a real good choice that they did not do that. Um but they ended up basing her on a caricature of one of the animator's wives. And uh, the, the article I was reading said, of whom he was not very fond. And it's like they divorced soon after. I was like, yeah, yeah. If I look up on screen, I'm like, um, that looks kind of like me. And my husband worked on this movie. I'm, I'm done now. Um, <laughs> I wonder if she was as poor of a shot with a shotgun as, uh, what was her name? Madam uh, Medusa. Something Medusa. Medusa. That's right. Yeah, we've got the whole um, Greco-Roman thing going on this. We've got Medusa and Nero and Brutus uh, as the, the main villains. And then we have Snoops for no good reason. Um, I, I have no idea how they fell in together. I kept looking at it like, how? Poor how? Snoops. So Snoops was voiced by Joe Flint. And this was his last movie. And he died in 1974. 
And this movie came out in 1977. So if they had to do any voiceover work or whatever, they couldn't with him because he was gone for years before this came out. Oh, my gosh. Well, I guess it's good they got it all in one take. Or I guess maybe they just kind of dealt with it. You know, it's like, well, this is this is fine. We'll just make it work. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's why his character came off the way he did, because they couldn't go back and redo anything because his voice was there. And I don't know what the union rules were at the time for recasting or use of of portion uh, portions of voices and stuff like that. I mean, to take it back to the Star Wars universe, we had a ton of that lately, right? With uh, Carrie Fisher and and do you Mm -hmm. use her? Do you not use her? That sort of thing. And in this particular case, he wasn't necessarily a household name, but he was not available to do any redos. So it had to go with what you got. And it was a decent performance, but I think the character was a little bit odd. It, it was almost like he was a goody two shoes at the, at the, at the, you know, the beck and call of Medusa. Yes. Yeah. So there is something, I feel like there was a deleted scene that explained everything that was missing from this film because there's something about that diamond that we don't understand like she just keeps talking about how it must be the devil's eye diamond and none of these other multi-million dollars worth of gems are good enough it has to be this particular um like this particular diamond and i keep feeling like there was like a scene where Snoops said something. He's like the um, the book person that knows about the power of the diamond or something. I don't know. And then maybe that would explain how they existed together because like as it is, it's just kind of random. Right. So I take a look at this movie and I go, okay, so there's a little bit of Indiana Jones here. There's a little bit of romancing the stone because of the romance between mm-hmm. uh, Bianca and and uh, Bernard. And 101 Dalmatians, I threw that in there because of Corel DeVille. Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. because, well, you're looking at pirate treasure, right? And a little yep. bit of Annie, you know, little orphan girl Annie. So you got all these mashed up into one story. And I don't think that was their inspiration because romancing the stone in Indiana Jones didn't exist back then. But the, the point is you have these so disparate sort of stories and it would have worked really well to give the reader a little bit of mystery or intrigue about the diamond. You're right. What's special about the diamond other than it's big and back in the seventies or sixties when this was originally conceived or whatever, maybe a big diamond was, you know, that, that was riches and fame. And that's what, everybody thought was out there and you, you get this big, huge diamond and, and you're an instant success and you're at the, the, the cusp of the, of the leaders of society and you have everything that you ever wanted, power, money, uh, relationships, uh, adulting things, that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, it, it was just this sparkly thing, this huge sparkly thing in the middle of a skull. But like, if that's the case, then why were none of the other jewels okay like she the amount of jewels she had pulled out of that hole was enough to pay for almost anyone to live for a lifetime true for the monetary value but you don't get the notoriety you're not the big discoverer right well you know penny did get on tv at the end for discovering the the gigantic diamond and donating it to the smithsonian i i think penny got on tv because of her discovery that mice could talk (laughs) <laughs> i i thought i thought that was interesting like all of these up till now um 
I kind of sit there and I'm like, okay, the animals and the humans are separate in in all these movies up until like up until Winnie the Pooh, really. And even in Winnie the Pooh, they're stuffed animals that Christopher Robin is playing with. And we know that. But like, this is the first movie where they actually interact together and we and like they understand one another. And uh, now it makes me wonder is like if are, are all of these in the same universe or is this the only one? And my speak human in this universe or in the Aristocats did was Duchess talking to Madame Adelaide the whole time. But you got to figure that like, okay, so I'm going to come at it from the comic book perspective or the sci-fi perspective. Cause you know, I'm a rocket scientist. I like sci-fi. So I tend to think of this in terms of the multiverse. So Disney itself was a multiverse. So you had little mm -hmm. pocket universes here and there that had these sort of capabilities on, and some had, animals that could talk to humans. Some had animals that could only talk to children. Some had animals that couldn't interface with people at all, kind of like the Cinderella, right? So, I mean, it, it's just depends on where you are in the Disney multiverse that makes this possible. By the way, talking mice, I grew up on a kind of family farm. And when we would go into the barn, you know, there was always mice in the barn. And no matter what you did, you, there's mice in the barn. We had cats oh, yeah. around around the farm to take care of it but you know i'd go in to the barn to do chores or whatever i see mice and and i'd start talking to them thinking they were going to talk back to me because of this movie <laughs> absolutely and and you did i forgot about cinderella cinderella talks to the mice too um but like yeah you make a a good point of like i always was like okay any minute now it's gonna be a mouse that talks to me and i think it is like I'm trying to think of other animals that talk to humans up until like the little mermaid and it's, it's mice. Oh yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the little mermaid to me and, and the one thing that pops out in the little mermaid to me is part of your world. You know, the key note song mm -hmm. of the whole thing. And even in the golden age of D Disney stuff, you had a keynote song that you could remember. I cannot think of one song in this entire film, which, you know, only 120 minutes less than that that really stuck with me i mean there was the whole rescue aid society thing if you watch it a couple of times it kind of sticks in your craw or whatever but it's not the keynote song that really that you really identify with and that you can go back to the movie or get the soundtrack for i guess when the movie came out the the lp and and play it over and over again or hear it on the radio or something like that there was nothing like that memorable about this film outside of the film itself well, there is that little, there's that song that uh, plays as Penny's looking over the swamp right before the, the mice show up at that, be brave, little one. That was like their big keynote song for this yeah, but movie. It, it wasn't but it really, successful. like, it wasn't. And I, I refer to it in, in the episode as the saddest version as, of the sun will come out tomorrow. Like, <laughs> it's, right. it's well, so sad. Yeah, and like before I watched this movie, I was trying to, uh, it's okay. So I watched this movie in the theater and I really didn't watch it, uh, since then. And I was not in, I was out of the country basically when it came out on VHS the first time around. So I didn't really see it until it came out in VHS the second time around 1999. And mm -hmm. I, uh, was confusing this in my mind with American Tale for whatever reason. Oh so my gosh, I expected yes. there to be a somewhere out there scene in here. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, no, why am I not? What, what was it? And then I was thinking the songs really suck. And I'm like, whatever. So I look up somewhere out there 
while I'm watching the movie and American tale, you know, pops up I'm like, Oh, SP, you, you idiot. And, um, I didn't say those words. It was more adult. And I, I just moved on <laughs> because, because, you know, this, this movie, even though I have the 1999 VHS tape in my hand right now, as we're talking here, I did not really watch it all that much. Matter of fact, uh, I know I moved in 2003 and I, w- I must've watched it somewhere between 1999 and, and 2003. But I haven't seen it since. Matter of fact, this has sat on a shelf ever since, and I haven't really paid too much attention to it. So I haven't seen this movie in 18 years, at least probably more than that. And even when I did watch it, I've only seen it a couple of times. So it's not really memorable to me. It was more akin to the rescuers down under. And I was confusing the two. We won't go into the rescuers down under in this episode, but it's very easy for me to confuse the two. And I wonder how easy it would be for others to confuse the two as well. Yeah, and I I mean, I I really liked The Rescuers Down Under as a kid as well. Um, I remember having the VHS uh, from 1999, and I think that was the very first time I ever watched the movie Um, because it wasn't one of those that got re-released into theaters over and over because, like, I remember seeing, like, Bambi and Snow White in theaters when they did the re-releases. The Rescuers didn't get that. Uh, It was just like, hey, here's a VHS, have that. Uh, we, we released another one about these, so you should probably have the tape. Um, but I remember, uh, being 16 and watching this movie and then seeing the Snopes article about there being nudity on the VHS and running and like fast forwarding the tape and like doing the screams. I see like, I have one, um, once upon a time, I had one of the OG VHSs that had the topless woman in the background. Yeah, the black label, the black diamond version that came out. I, I but yeah. I have two black diamond tapes. I have the Robin Hood tape, which I guess is the very first VHS tape to come out for Disney yeah. and the animation. And I, I have the Beauty and the Beast black diamond tape. And I ha- used to have others, but my ex-wife uh, sold them before she left. So those are the only two that I have left. And Fine. as far as this being released only to vhs remember the movie industry had been changing if you take a look at the amount of movies that were released in theater in 1977 versus the amount of movies that were released in theaters in 1999 there is a score of difference and this is really before any streaming was out there you had vhs that was it so the only way for them to re-release this was not necessarily into theaters because there were so many new movies and not all that many new screens by the way out there and the only way to see it was on vhs tape so i understand why disney did not release it in theaters i don't think it would fared very well i don't think so either all the other competition so i this was probably the way to go about it and just like it was in in that transition period where it was don blue's first film i think it kind of suffered from being one of the first films to suffer from the uh the the amount of movies coming out and the inability for disney to go back into the theaters for it yeah yeah i I completely agree and um i do see a lot of changing in in this particular movie um like there is a huge difference between this movie and how it treats um its female protagonists and how uh, other female protagonists have been treated up until this point um, and like, I, that was actually the, the politics that I saw immediately was how everyone treated Bianca and how Bianca was just, she was like, I'm going to do the thing and you can't say boo. 
So a couple of things about the character of Bianca. First of all, she was an adventure junkie. She really oh, was. Yeah. She just wanted to go and have fun. When she gets in the airplane, the albatross, she is just having fun. She doesn't care that she's about to not make it in life. I guess she has a little bit of an issue when in in uh, in the swamp where they fall out of the bird and whatever. But uh, she just loves any action whatsoever. She just gets off on it. And I think that that's great. But I do agree that, oh, no, you can't do that without a man next to you. Right. But the fact like they were talking about how this this is no longer a man's world and this is now acceptable for you to, you know, as, as long as you're escorted or whatever. Um, but I, I thought that was really interesting about how she was like, oh, I run lights all the time and I'm late for meetings and I like being dangerous and I'm going to rescue this little girl and I'm going to take a janitor with me. And it is a completely different character when we are comparing characters like even Duchess, who is, I just want to go home to my owner and, you know, not worry about anything else. And, and all that's important is going home. Or if we even go back further, we have Snow White, who's like, I'm just going to dust and this is great. And I am happy here. So I will not give Bianca a complete pass because when she was coming into the UN meeting as she was coming in late, she sprays perfume on her and she mm -hmm. gives Bernard the most flirtatious look. She she was like, I, I want that bad boy. You know, the janitor, the bad boy. I want that bad boy. And that's who I'm going to pick to go on this thing. And plus, he made her laugh because in, when he brought the comb in with the 13, the whole Bernard 13 thing, I just. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. Whatever. Yeah. So he's going up the comb and whatever. He makes her laugh. So she just she's going with it. She's trying to go with the flow and that sort of thing. The other thing that I wanted to talk about about Bianca, she's voiced by Eva Gabor, who is Jaja Gabor's sister. Mm -hmm. So so there is some I don't know, maybe a little bit of inferiority complex going on with Eva, but it, it really doesn't matter that. Gabor sort of mysteriousness and that that uh, adventurism does come through with the character of Bianca. Oh, absolutely. I I just kind of I, I and I'm not trying to say that she gets a, a pass or anything. I did notice that Bernard, though he noticed her come in, he was the only one of the people, one of the male delegates that didn't like ogle her uh, as That's she true. came through. He was just like, oh yeah, hey, you're there. You look nice today great and then everyone else was like oh yes let's watch her walk and and so like i thought that was actually kind of one of the reasons that she picked him was because he wasn't treating her like a sex object he was treating her like a person yeah and a lot of that comes through with the next movie that comes along mm -hmm. to the sequel and i know you you'll talk about that another time it's so hard to talk about this oh, and not talk fine. about the sequel yeah but, ah, we can uh, <laughs> Well, it is kind I mean, of important it, to this one. It is the first one that they ever said, hey, we're going to a sequel to this. And they actually put it in theaters. So, And it did reasonably well, I guess. But Eva or Bianca, she's the reason why this whole thing is happening. I wonder if this would have been successful if it was any other agent, right? Because they're just mice. They're not really capable of doing anything. And I think the combination of Bernard, who's who's got a heart of gold and... And Bianca, who also has a heart of gold, but is the adventure junkie, and he's more they're they're both capable. It's it shocks me in both of these movies how capable these mice really are. So I think they're trying to mimic the actual mice out there where you know they're hard to catch and that sort of thing. But 
they are when it comes time for action they are are very capable of doing action they are also ca very capable of floating up in an organ pipe which is uh, okay I, I still don't know why we had that scene but okay it was fun for the composer i guess i don't know it was slapstick comedy it really was. It's very, it's very apart from the the film. Like there, there's come a couple of moments that I'm like, oh, okay. So this was random. Like we we're going to talk a lot about moonshine for a while, um, because we're in Louisiana and we have to talk about moonshine. And again, Ken Anderson was obsessed with Song of the South, so I guess he had to put a little bit in there, but. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking Song of the South. I didn't want to bring it up. I'm glad you did. But yeah, this movie taught me that I needed to drink as soon as I could. And by drink, <laughs> I mean moonshine or whatever the heck was in that jug, because I was like, I want to experience that. I want my eyes to spin around red. I want to make sure that I can't talk, that I'm, I'm gasping for breath. I want that. And I was 10 when I saw this for the first time. Way to go, Disney, to encourage underage drinking. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they did it with Dumbo because as soon as he drank, everything got better for him. So that's a thing. Um, ever so often, it's like they'll go for a few movies and just not talk about alcohol. And then all of a sudden it's like, and here it plays a huge role for no good reason. Why? I also wanted to be able to supercharge whatever vehicle I had using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just going to pour some moonshine in that. That's going to work on the, I call it the jalopy jet ski. Um, because there's no other word for that. I don't. When this came out, jet skis didn't exist. Uh, it it yeah. was. I we also had a lake place, and I'm very familiar about the the development of of boating and everything like that. Which, by the way, Evanrude, I loved as a ten year old kid. I loved Evanrude. Why? Because our family had a boat that was powered by an Evanrude. So I'm like, oh, I got that. That's uh, cool. It's the outboard engine that's on our boat. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I actually didn't know that that was a brand of boat motor until I was reading through it. And I was just like, I didn't find a place to insert that into the, the research, but yes, Evan Rude is a, is the name of a motor. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So cool. Yeah. It was bought out, I think by Johnson. And I don't know if Johnson is still in existence or, or not. Now they might've been bought out by Mercury or somebody. I don't know, but I do know that yeah, Evan Rude worked about as well as the Evan Rude we had on the boat. <laughs> So really good, and then not at all. That's right. There was always a pop, 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 pop. It was going on the whole time. Oh, at least they they knew their boats, I guess. <laughs> I, well, I, I, I what, what are you going to call it? Are you going to call it Mercury? Uh, I forget what the other uh, motors were at the time. I, Evan Rude just it probably fit the best out of all the outboards that were there at the oh, time. Oh, probably. I just yeah, that's. That I found that really, really funny, especially looking at how he quote unquote broke down so often. And now knowing that that's exactly what they did, I'm sure that they were like, Thank you, Disney, for that. Yeah, Appreciate eventually it. we had we had a uh, uh, 16 or 18 foot Starcraft with an 85 horsepower Evinrude on the back, and that was big enough for us to water ski and stuff. So I water skied as a kid too. And I was watching, watching Medusa water ski on those crocodiles. And, and, uh, I remember it was, it might've been the first time that watching a scene took me out of the scene. Cause I'm like that 
you can't first of all you can't water ski on crocodiles second of all if you did they wouldn't act like that like when she lets go of the rope and they at the very end and they're going right towards what's left of the uh the steamboat that they they're just immobilized they're not doing anything i'm like no the cro crocs can do they can go under the water and you know they wouldn't hit the boat or whatever and the, just, it took me out as a 10 year old, it took me out of the movie just because I water ski. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that would do the thing. I think uh, again, because I watched it, you know, a little bit later in life, I just had already gotten used to cartoon physics. Um, just kind of like, Oh yes. Okay. This is, this is how cartoons work. Cool. 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 Um, I, I looked at it several times throughout this going, well, that would kill you in real life. Well, that would kill you in real life. <laughs> right. Like the jet boat was so integral in a lot of the scenes once you get down to, into the swamp. So Wilbur, it's the last time we see Wilbur. He goes into the jet, he goes out, you know, he's still alive, but he he just leaves, which is so different than the second movie. But right, it's not right. Wilbur anymore. And it's not Wilbur because, by the way, he was the second actor that this was the last film that oh, really? was. Oh, yeah. What, what, is that why, like, because this is Orville, actually, not Wilbur. Um, oh, yes. So I'm sorry. Is that See, why they threw it up between the two. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. But is that why they had Wilbur in the second movie? Because Orville and, Orville and Wilbur go, go back to back. But uh, I wonder if that's why they just made it a different um, albatross in the second movie. That, well, that's it. So Jim Jordan, who voiced Orville, he was close to 80 by the time the movie came out in you know late 70s when he was voicing it this was his last credit and he really didn't work for the decade or a half in between his previous and this because his wife passed away and he just kind of slunk away from he was a great comedic actor by the way back in the day but this was the last performance that he did and also remember about this time when actors couldn't act on the screen anymore. A lot of them went to voiceover stuff or mm -hmm. were grabbed for voiceover stuff because you could see, you could vision their faces and, and everything like uh, George C. Scott in the second movie. You know, you can really see him, him and his performances coming out there on the screen. And it's the same with these. Uh, honestly, I don't remember to other than Bob Newhart. I don't remember too many of these other actors actually on screen and jim jordan was one that i didn't remember but this was his last one as was snoops the, the guy that played snoops joe flynn it was his last credit so yes that is why they had to flip the albatross air business from orville to wilbur which by the way it's orville and wilbur wright yeah so yeah if you're from well, kitty hawk north carolina or if you're from dayton ohio where the wright brothers lived you know that's important to you um, yeah, and I, I know that like the, the woman who played Medusa was Geraldine Page, and I know I've heard that name. I just I couldn't tell you anything about her. I don't but remember. She's, she's a name I know. Right. And like Eva Gabor, the Gabor thing I remembered, and I was like, why do I remember mm -hmm. that? Oh, Zsa Zsa. And then I looked it up and it was indeed the sisters, and I guess the the lesser or the younger sister, and she didn't get as much um breaks or play in hollywood as her sister did but they both played the same roles basically yeah so ava was on green acres and jaja wasn't so oh, like right. like she did a lot of stuff um but everyone knows jaja i guess because it's fun to say but ava ava did a lot 
she was she was all over the place up until her death. Like she she did rescuers down under only five years before she died. So uh, she was doing stuff all the way through her life. I don't I don't know. So Paige won an Academy Award for Best Actress in 1985 for the movie The Trip to Bountiful. I did not know that. I don't even huh. know that movie. I, I, I don't either, but. I was like, I don't know that movie. I, so SP's philosophy on the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes, it's, it's Hollywood celebrating Hollywood. So as oh, much yeah. as they try to make it a show for everybody else, it really isn't. It's a show for that. It's a show for the industry. And because the industry is media, they treat it as another media thing. And I'm like, I don't care. You're not any more important than a Nobel Peace Prize winner or whatever. So I, I don't want to uh, obsess about it. So I stopped watching red carpet events a long time ago. So I, I just don't pay attention to who wins what until I'm podcasting and an actor or an actress comes up. I'm like, oh, so this is where they got the Oscar for. Uh. I understand now. <laughs> Yeah, but, but yeah, with the voice work, I think it was so important to have like down home Bob Newhart against um, Hungarian actress Ava Gabor, you know, like to mesh those two worlds together. I think if it had just been Bianca, I don't I think that the American idiots uh, might have been like, oh, you know, it's too foreign or whatever. But you put Bob Newhart in there and it all of a sudden is just like strictly American all the all the way. <laughs> Yeah, on one hand, the pairing worked. On the other hand, just having Bob Newhart in any production. I love Bob Newhart, by the way. I grew up watching a lot of Bob Newhart. I've got nothing in general bad to say about Bob Newhart other than the way he performs can kill the momentum in a scene. Yeah. Even if, even if it's the most hilarious thing, you're slowing it down just because he's stuttering or he is taking a roundabout way to say something or, or whatever. And it turn it's the way Bob Newhart is. And it's, it works great except for when you're already in a slow production, like at times the rescuers were or scenes without meaning and his performance is like, ah, I just, uh. and he oscillates between that. And then the fantastic physical feats that he's doing on screen, like, like the, when they capture the crocodiles. So, Eva mm-hmm. and Bernard or Bianca and Bernard are sitting on that fish hook and the crocodiles are coming and they're like, no, 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 you got to do it now. You got to do it now. And then they get pulled up, even though they weren't doing anything physical right there. I mean, that, that was an intense suspenseful scene because are these crocodiles going to eat these mice or not? And then they end up getting away and that happens over and over and over again. Like I said before, these mice have some amazing physical capabilities, which I at, at their age, I mean, it, you get you get to be AARP age, by the way, and and you kind of wonder where all this athleticism went in your life. But anyway, Bob, th- this was a much younger Bob Newhart. This wasn't the Bob Newhart of the last five or ten years, and it worked and it didn't work in the movie. And I, I'm conflicted on the th- on the you know the trade off between the two, and I just feel. I feel like I'm betraying Bob, but on the other hand, as I'm watching this movie at 50 plus, and I'm like, yeah, Bob, you're killing me. Well, it's so funny because I like a lot of these before the bronze era, there was a whole discussion of why they decided on this voice actor and, and how they decided to go about it and what they went through. And this one, they're like, so these people, they were the voices. That is all. 
I want to. I want to know what that conversation l- went like. Like I, I think about the whole casting of Julie Andrew- Andrews in uh, in Mary Poppins, and the fact that like Walt Disney chased her around the country, being like, "Come on, just be in my movie, please, just a little bit." And and we know nothing about why why Bob Hart and Ava Gabor were the the people that they needed to go for here. And uh, I mean, like we've got people from Green Acres uh, playing the the swamp folk, which makes sense. But I just I don't know what what the choice was. And I, I guess they wanted her to sound classy, and the Gabor sisters sounded classy. Yeah, maybe. And then if you went for somebody that was more like James Bond, first of all, you know, the, there's the whole international feel there, right? But if you went with somebody that was like a, a good spy, like James Bond, or I'm, I'm trying to think of a good American action hero of the time of the era, because uh, you're, you're, you're t- Harrison Ford wasn't an action hero yet. He was in some movies, but he wasn't necessarily an action hero at the time. Uh, definitely not uh, who who was smoking the bandit with um, oh, what's his name? He wasn't really an action hero. He's more a comedian. Like most of the actors were comedians Is that at Burt the time. Reynolds? Yeah, Burt Reynolds is right. Okay, most, like, of the, <laughs> most of the actors were comedians. They weren't it, the, the the notable names. So I guess Bob Newhart worked for in the in the middle of all that versus uh, an an action or or a mystery guy or whatever. I mean, I know there was. There was Westerns and then there was war movies going on, but you wouldn't want John Wayne playing Bernard. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think that would have worked. No, not at all. Oh. I'm just imagining that in my head I, I, of how yeah, bad that would I'm doing the same thing. I'm just like, no, thank you. No, um, I'm good. <laughs> that moment so, where let, you just kind of stare off and like, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Like, no, no, no. Let me ask you this, because I haven't really gone back and watched a lot of the movies that you've already watched up to this point. The very introductory sequence of this, you know, you do have Penny going off and and you have her putting the bottle out that eventually gets the mice involved. But the whole journey of the bottle was just done by a bunch of still scenes. Was that typical of the movies beforehand? I don't remember that. It was not. Uh, so this one was real a really um, different start. Um, up until now, except for um, the Aristocats, who was which was not based on a book, they'd all had the book opening to to start off the movie. Uh, and this one was based on a book, but they skipped that. And I, I found it like kind of interesting the way they did the stills instead of the animated thing. And I think that I don't know what they were doing. Um, but it kind of felt like they had had everyone go home and paint like water and waves and a sunset and just bring it in and we'll paint a bottle on it. And because all of the different styles that it flows through there, it's just, um, it's very weird. I, I don't dislike it, but it's weird. Yeah. It definitely told the story. Like the bottle was about to be picked up by a cruise ship, but the cruise ship just went right through it. You know, it had its searchlights out, whatever. And and then it went through the storm and you saw that and you eventually ended up on the shores of uh, New York city, you know, across the, the Harbor from the UN and, and you got the story there, but it was just a weird way to depict. I thought it was a weird way to depict it because I didn't remember it at all, but you know, that's just me. SP's old and he forgets a lot. Oh, no, I, I did not remember it either. Um, I thought that one of the things I really noticed is that very, very first scene before the before the credits 
uh, where Penny runs out and drops the bottle, it looks like she's moving across canvas in that very first scene. Like they've just, you know, kind of given up on the boat and just put it on a canvas and just let her walk across it. And it was, it was kind of jarring to me to have that difference in um, textures on that, in that. So I'm not an expert as to how these were animated along the way. I know you've talked about it before in previous episodes, but the limited research that I did didn't show a dramatic change in technology that they used. I mean, I guess it's artistic differences then. Yeah, I, I think it's just a difference in styles and it's just a different choice, I guess. And animating those backgrounds um, costs a lot of money. And so I think that they were trying to see how much can we skimp uh, and make a profit on a movie, which is maybe not the best way to go. But hey, it worked for him, I guess. All right. So if. Uh, Robin Hood came out in 1973, right? And then yep. Winnie the Pooh, which was actually a consolidation of of a lot of stuff that had been done before, came out in early 1977. So this was really the first animated feature that came out in four years. Yep. So they had four years to work on this. Yep. Okay. But they, they didn't start until 1975. So they had to. They made it in two. They had to have started before then because some of the actors died before. Well, I don't, I don't know how this worked because they they said that um, they were making another movie first. So the first one they started was uh, based on Miss Bianca in the Antarctic, where they were uh, rescuing a polar bear, which doesn't live in Antarctica, but okay, moving on. And they had this whole bit, and it was going to be a big musical, and it was a singing polar bear, and they had gotten really far into it until their singer, until their songwriter started getting headaches and forgetting things and then he had a brain tumor and he died and they had to scrap everything and start over wow this really <laughs> this movie this had, a movie. Lot, had a lot going against it and yet it was i can't remember it was it was one of the most uh successful box office it definitely by percentage right i know there's star oh, yeah. wars which you can't deal with star wars but and smoking the bandit with burt reynolds see i remembered burt reynolds uh, you you had those, uh, but this still garnered in the year of, I believe, $50 million, which was huge for an animation film. Yeah, it, so it grossed $48 million worldwide, and it did outperform Star Wars in France. Well, the French just don't know what they're missing, right? Yeah, I, know. I don't know. If they, I, I thought that was interesting that it outperformed Star Wars in France, and it became the highest grossing movie of all time in Germany. That I'm not surprised of because of the Eastern block emphasis mm -hmm. with Bianca. I could totally see that. Yeah. Now I'm trying to figure out like, okay, so Ken Anderson was developing the, the monkeys on Gibraltar in 1973 and they had to scrap the polar bear story in 1975 and they released this in 1977. So that makes me think that Snoops was part of the original polar bear uh. story. See, and that makes even more sense why his character really didn't fit in because he wasn't even supposed to be in the story. Yeah, he was. They must have recorded him and then he died and they're like, yeah, we'll use it anyway. That That's a great way to save money. Probably hadn't even paid him yet. Um, Jeez. <laughs> Start to pay the estate. Come on. I, I, I have no proof for that. Someone, someone's going to at me. Um, 
But yeah, oh, that good. actually they should at you. They should. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, yeah. What they? Well, you know what they should at you, and they say, "I can't believe you had this guy SP on your podcast. Don't ever have him on your podcast again." That's what I expect you to get. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like something that's not going to happen. But because uh, <laughs> this is great. But yeah, I think that that actually does explain why Mister Snoops makes no sense in this movie. Like. You have a guy wandering around the paddle boat with a kidnapped child in a three-piece suit and tie that looks like he's been, like, rumpled. And <laughs> you have right. Mrs. White Trash. <laughs> oh, extreme white trash. I mean, this might have been before the term white trash was even out there. I don't know where that originated from. But, yeah, she was definitely uh, not of uh, good stock, I guess. <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, and, and another thing, you know, you, you take a look at this movie and you start picking it apart, which you should never really do with Disney films. You do a great job of it, an entertaining job of it, but I should never do it. Anyway, I'm taking a look at this and going, why is it that only mice can help Penny? What, what, what is with this whole thing that only mice can do uh, Two mice actually can do this? I don't understand. Well, like and she says, didn't you bring anyone bigger with you? Like the police? And I was like, you know, that would be a very good group of people to bring out here. The police. I mean, they're talking. Yeah, right. They're talking mice. So you go and you find a telephone and you call in an anonymous tip to the police. And that's how it happens. I mean, you don't have to talk to the police. You could, you know, just mimic somebody like a human or something like that. I mean, something that can be done, I guess. And also... What crappy orphanage didn't report that a child has gone missing from there several weeks ago? They just boxed her crap up and put it in a closet. It was like, ah, she ran away. Well, so you watched Oliver, right? Or you're going to? I'm going to watch Oliver, yeah. Yeah, so Oliver, Annie, I mean, it was kind of a, a trope at the time that these orphanages were just, you know, peop places where kids could go to disappear. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was really what happened with orphanages. And I know that. But I kept thinking, like, Rufus was like, yeah, she ran away. Too bad. That sucked. And I was like, no, 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 no wait, no. <laughs> and Rufus is this bit character that comes in. He's a cat, right? He comes yeah. in just for kind of expediency of the plot along. And you never see Rufus again. It, I guess the inference is he's an old cat. He might have not have made it to the end of the movie. And he's the one that it's so a cat talks to my I mean, total opposite of Tom and Jerry. Mm -hmm. Well, I do like that first thing of like him saying, please leave. I don't want to be fired and I'm too old to chase you. Right. I mean, I guess that would be me like, <laughs> yeah, I'll come on your podcast. Just don't just uh, don't call me out on anything. I just I'm too old to retire. I just want to keep on podcasting. Yeah, I can <laughs> see that. Yeah, I, I don't want to be fired and I just I just want to go to sleep. I like that they have like a scarf and spectacles on him and, and that just was hilarious to me. Um, but like that, that flashback of her saying they adopted a little girl that was prettier than me and I was just like <laughs> I was a wreck. <laughs> oh, I was yeah. It was very emotional. The little conversation between Rufus and penny on the bed yeah but she left in good spirits and then i guess she quote unquote ran away i do you think she was abducted out the back door or something because i just don't see her running away at that point she was too happy 
I think Medusa took her because uh, he said that she had pulled up to the orphanage and was asking Penny questions out of her car. And that is the perfect setup for child abductions uh, for sure. anyone who yeah. listens to true crime podcasts. Like they just, they'll just yank you in the car and, and then you never are seen again. But like, I, th- I thought I remembered there being multiple children, them talking about abducting multiple children, but I guess I don't remember that anymore. Like, uh, this one of those things of remembering things differently and then be like, oh, no, no, I guess just was just at least it wasn't an entire song that was famous song that was in a different movie. I mean, I could yeah, see uh-huh. this mine, ugh, whatever uh, the I don't see Medusa as the type to get a lollipop and entice a kid in. I think you're right. I think she just grabbed her and then and then sped off at like a hundred and mm-hmm. a zillion miles an hour in her jalopy. In New York somehow. <laughs> well, it was a different time. You it know? was. It was a different time. It was very different time. Um, but yeah, I kept in the scene where she's like, I found the, the diamond, but I can't get to it because the water's coming in. She's like, you'll get it or you're drowned. And I'm like, okay, so look, I understand you're the bad guy. Cool, cool. Um, but to let the one person in the world that knows where your diamond is drown, are, that's a bad life decision. <laughs> well, at least you know it's down in the hole. So you get another kid and you, you, you're set back in time and whatever. But, you, you know, it's doable. I guess she was not a very good thinker anyway, because yeah. as you were saying before, you know, she had all these jewels. Why does she need the bigger one? So, yeah, there's there's a lot wrong there. By the way, the diamond gets stuffed in the teddy bear in how much like Winnie the Pooh does that oh teddy my bear face look like to you? Oh my gosh, so much. I, I I kept laughing because they came out the same year and I was like, I feel like this was a cross promotion. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> these two these two animation teams that had nothing to do with each other. Yeah, you know, you you need to put a little bit of Winnie the Pooh in there. He was a lot thinner yeah, than Winnie the Pooh, though. He was. He didn't get very much honey because of the orphanage. Oh, is that what it is? The gruel at the orphanage. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It'll help you lose weight real fast. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of scenes in this movie that just made me mad about like how they treated Penny, like with uh, Medusa saying, What makes you think anyone would ever adopt a homely little girl like you? I was like, I will come through that TV and slap your little face. Like I have no good words for for Medusa. I had a real hard time keeping this one G rated, trying to come up with the word for this woman, um, because there are no good ones that are. So what? What, what do you think? She she was what six, seven, eight in, in this movie, Penny. Yeah. And then she had so to have been. Think about ten years. So the late eighties, early nineties. There should have been a NASCAR driver named Penny because she drove that jet ski. Like she was going to win the Daytona 500. Like she's never driven a jet ski. Jet skis don't exist, but she can navigate that thing through the swamp like a pro. I think that she's got natural talent. Yeah, that's what she did. That's that's what happened after she got adopted uh, for finding the diamond somehow. And uh, she just became like a professional NASCAR driver eventually when she grew up. Okay. Head cannon accepted. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> I I guess this this movie there's a lot better Disney movies to watch than this but th- this is it was an interesting one to watch I'll probably never watch it again in my life just because you know I'm I'm old and I only have so much life left right but I, I think 
I, I'm glad I had this opportunity to to watch it. I'm glad I had this opportunity to talk about it with you because there's just there, there's so much in here. There's so much history and there's so much transition that occurs because of this one film that it gets lost in history unless you actually take the time to watch it. Yeah, and that's that's really what I really started doing is I, I'm actually about to enter one of the movies that I've never, ever seen in my life. Not The Fox and the Hound, The Black Cauldron. Uh, my joke is no one's ever actually seen The Black Cauldron. And uh, I know you did, but how many other people do you know? Uh, <laughs> like, no one saw that movie. I've never seen it. And I'm, it's really interesting to watch the progression, at, like I said, of going from someone like Snow White to going to a female protagonist like Miss Bianca and that that change of, of how people are seen, uh, seeing women and uh, through the ages. Um, I did uh, think it was interesting that they had an NRA badge on the cage for the pawn shop and then she was just terrible with a gun. And um, I had some thoughts about that political statement. Yeah, but. there's that. And then just the physics of, yeah, of course, there is the fact that if you plug a gun and you shoot it, it's it's going to the barrel's going to blow up. Odds are you're going to take your head off with it, too. But it, you yeah. know, it's kind of an old trope that went back to the Westerns and physical comedy that did that. And I, I, just, I forgot about it, to be honest with you, because it's just not done anymore. Yeah, when they stuck that dynamite in the gun, I was like, and everyone should have died from this. But OK, this is what happened. And they talked about setting fireworks off in Medusa's bedroom. I was like, that that is, uh, I mean, at this point, I'm rooting for third degree burns, but that seems like a terrible thing to the do. The boat did end up sinking because of it. I mean, you just it didn't did. see, you, you didn't have the opportunity to stop, drop, and roll because the boat sank <laughs> into the water. Well, you know. So you listen. <laughs> the only time that stop, drop, and roll was useful for anyone. Was when fireworks we're, went off. We're going the on themes with we're we're going on themes with guest episodes. We're just going to talk about stop, drop, and roll forever. Well, I mean, I guess you grew up at a later time than me because we had a bunch of you need to hide under your desk because there's you know a bomb that's going to come in from you know the bad guys. So yeah, it was it was the heart of Cold War when I was in grade school. That that was yeah we, that was fun. Uh, we in Oklahoma hid under our desks for tornado drills because of reasons. There is some scientific fact because what you're trying to do there is you're trying to break the the fall of mm -hmm. a wall or a ceiling around you. Just yeah. like in an earthquake, you have to, one of the things with the earthquake, they tell you to get, not get underneath furniture, but get right beside it or st uh, stand in a doorway. It's not because the doorway yeah. is going to protect you. It's going to make stuff fall around you so that the, the frame of whatever you're standing with is going to make stuff, um, make a cavity basically for you to be able to survive with stuff falling around you. So I understand underneath the desk for a tornado. The one caveat though, is the desk isn't going to stay still because you know, no. if there's enough force, the desk is going to move and the legs are going to, you know, hit you in the face. And especially if you got a room of what, 20, 30 desks are going to be moving around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always what I thought. It's like, okay, so this is great if the if the ceiling just caves in, but what if it's actually sucked up into the sky? This will not be okay anymore. So you grew up in Oklahoma. At what point in time did you watch Twister? Um, oh, 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 so fun story. That was made in my hometown. Oh, so you watched it happen right in front of you. I, I watched it happen right in front of me. I saw it on opening day. There was the very first line I ever saw at a movie theater wrapped around the building twice. 
Um, I like it, it wasn't made in my hometown. It was made in small towns around my hometown. So uh, I grew up in Ponca City, which is uh, a city that no one knows of. And it's not a real city, uh, but it's a fairly large community in Oklahoma for Oklahoma. And uh, they stored all of the vehicles and everything there. All the actors and actresses stayed in our town. Um, like everyone I know was like a, a background character in that movie, except for me. Um, <laughs> it's a big deal. Did, did you get to meet uh, Bill or Helen? I did not. Um, so <sighs> there, there were some stories about Helen uh, threatening people's lives if they walked in front of her house. Um, so I did not come away from that with a great experience, like great opinion of Helen. Um, and I do know that if I had gone to where the, all the rest, so everyone else was in trailers, she rented a house. Um, I, and they did like a lot of people went out and got autographs all the time and my parents were just not that into it. So I did not. Bummer. I would have loved to, I've never had met Bill Paxton in life and I, I would have loved to have met him at some point in time. So if you had met him, I was going to pump you for that story. And then Helen Hunt, mm -hmm. I did have a lot of respect for her until you just said that. So yeah, I guess don't meet your heroes in life. Yeah. Uh, so I have a saying, um, I say it a lot on my other podcast of never meet your heroes unless they're LeVar Burton and then always meet LeVar Burton. He's an amazing person to meet. <laughs> would you want to read a book with LeVar? Oh, yes, absolutely. 100%. What book would you want to meet, read with LeVar? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. Well, now <laughs> you have know. something Whatever to think one, about. He, he was like, would you, if he was like, would you like to read? I'm like, yes, the encyclopedia sounds like a great thing to read with you, LeVar. That, that sounds amazing. I'm, I'm in. Um, but yeah, I met him and Nichelle Nichols like within the same day. And they were just amazing. And they were great with my kid and uh made her feel really loved and, and special and uh brent spiner was also pretty fantastic with her that's so, okay star trek just like have heroes that are star trek i i guess yeah i i you know i grew up the one thing i actually got to watch some of star trek actually on tv and uh, i did it with my dad and and then definitely in reruns later uh, saturday nights it would start out with the muppet uh the muppet show and we'd watch the Rockford Files and Star Trek. That the that was me growing up. And my dad was smoking at the time too, but then he quit uh, when he saw me starting to cough. So uh, oh, trying to remember that was nice how, of him. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how old. I think it was five, I guess. So he's he's uh, not smoked since. He actually he said he's had two cigarettes and in, in in the time period of of the decades in between, and he's still alive right now. And he said that uh, both times he he really disliked the taste, so he had gotten turned off by it. But yeah, that was my Saturday nights, the the Muppet Show, which now I think is on. I want to say Disney Plus, but yep, I, it's it is on Disney Plus now. And then mm -hmm. uh, the Rockford Files, which I have no idea where to get those. And I honestly, that would be an interesting podcast to listen to of how wrong that. <laughs> whole series is and then star trek tos so i did go back and watch star trek tos much like you're watching re-watching all these movies now and and um some of it's very hard to stomach even though it was so advanced for its time it mm -hmm. some of it's hard to watch just like some of this stuff is hard to watch today well and um i i say this a lot about about these movies is that i think it's totally okay for us to say at the time this was very forward thinking um, it is not anymore. 
Um, but the fact that we can say that means it shows us how far we've moved as a society where we can say, oh, hey, that's a troubling theme that came up several times in this movie slash TV show. Uh, I am upset by that. And, and it just does show us like, oh, hey, society has moved forward and that's okay. And that's, that's great. You know, in watching this and in uh, talking about it, now I have a new goal in life. I want to find the recipe that Luke was using for his moonshine. Uh, I think it might make someone go blind. How did you like this film? I've talked a lot about me, but how did you ultimately like it? I, um, I didn't like it as much as I did when I was a kid. I remember really, really liking it as a kid. Um, and then going back to it going, oh, um, hmm, this was just not as exciting as I remember it. Uh, I kind of remember it almost being like a nail biter when I was a kid. And this time it was just like, well, they are running from the bad guy. Cool. Um, I, I think my biggest like joy though, was, was looking at, at, at the Bianca character and, and yes, I'm overly focused on her, but um, I say it in my, my episode that's uh, out last week now is um, like, I feel like she might be the first like really, feminist character that they really put out there that was just like i'm gonna do this and oh you make me take a man okay fine i choose which man i choose what we're doing we're doing this mm. um and i really 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 liked that um to see that how she was like i'm gonna trap the alligators in the in the elevator and i'm going to make sure this little girl is okay um which is a really interesting thing to watch as I've been going through it. And I, I really liked her character, but um, as far as the actual movie, I could really, really see the Don Bluth stuff. And I kind of get where you might've gotten American tale crossed over with this because it is so Don Bluthy. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was a good watch, but yeah, it's meh as, as, a, a, kid, as a movie. As a kid, how much did the romance you think had to do with your like of the film between Bernard and Bianca? I don't think I picked up on it really. Like, well, I guess I did because I'd watched Rescuers Down Under where he had proposed, but I remember Rescuers Down Under going, I don't really understand why there's a romance here. And I think I kind of feel the same way watching this one of like, he clearly likes her. And she clearly thinks he's nice, but I, I don't really know how that marriage turned out. Um, it would be an interesting series. I would have actually loved to see a whole series of these movies of where they go and do things. Uh, but I can kind of also see where that might've gotten tired really fast. And also Ava Gabor died. So they couldn't do that. Yeah. You could always recast the voice, but that that's uh, up in the air, whether it happens or not. I do agree that, that Bianca was uh, a good, strong female character for the time. It, absolutely. Uh, the story that you just told of her wanting to do the exciting thing to save the girl, but choose what guy she went with. I think that says a lot about her character and being able to, to work in the time. Wasn't this about the time that the Mary, Mary Tyler Moore show was on? I think it about the same time. So I think you're starting to oh, see probably. some of those themes come out. Yeah. It ended right about this. So Mary Tyler Moore ended in 1977. Okay. Bob Newhart I, on Mary Tyler Moore. I, 
I want to say it was a different network. It was, wasn't Mary mm. Tyler Moore ABC and wasn't. Oh, no, uh, it was Ed Newhart. Asner. It was Ed uh, Asner, not Bob yeah. Newhart. Right. Who is still alive, by the way, the last time I looked. Oh, I'm going to click on that and be scared. No, no, because he's it, good. Yep. It always comes up. It, like everybody's like, Ed Asner, didn't he? Die? No, no. We look it up every time and he's alive. So I, at least I remember that. I will be sorry and sad when uh. he departs us. But. I also know that living forever is not exactly in the human condition. So, especially well, as you yeah, get older. Unless you're Betty White. Oh my gosh. So we were, I was watching the proposal with the girls the other day and <gasps> uh, a few months ago. And you know, th there was that wonderful scene. Well, Betty White's in it, it but there's that wonderful yeah. scene where Betty White's dancing in the, uh, yes. at, at the uh, bachelorette party. And I'm like, that is, that is so cool. Uh, Betty, uh, she's great. Look like her. Uh, so, I don't know if I mentioned before, but I am a rocket scientist and the fireworks are just really cool to watch. I, the the one it was kind of weird, though, I guess this goes in the artistic style discussion that we were having before where they're they're popping off in the sky as Orville is is flying along. And it it looked like like a real scene of fireworks going off that were recorded. And then there was this animation in the middle of it, which didn't happen the rest of the movie i know that was a mm -hmm. technique that was used but it, it that kind of took me out of it too but and then you get drawn right back into the movie because they're you know falling out of the sky and you're like bernard bianca you need to you need to survive this that was very cold war-y thing of like having a plane shot down randomly um that that kind of feels like it kind of pulled back into that cold war era of planes are Spot. scary and well the spy yeah the spy version of it yeah but also remember that at this time there was a lot of world war ii films that had been mm -hmm. done before so yeah there was there's a lot of it, my grandparents were part of the greatest generation and they they never talked about it it was something that you just never talked about it oh yeah uh, with, same with those people and i had the opportunity to actually talk to uh the doolittle raiders for instance which if you don't know your world war ii history uh, the United States uh, attacked Japan for the first time with uh, B-25 bombers and off of uh, aircraft carrier. And it was the first time that we attacked the, the Japanese, we, the United States attacked uh, the Japanese uh, homeland in, in the middle of World War II. And a lot of those guys got shot down or they ran out of fuel or, or whatever. And, and the survivors, I got to talk to them and they, they it was really difficult. It, they were fine talking to you, but if you wanted to get into specifics, you could just tell that they wanted to steer the conversation away. There were things that they were willing to talk about and things that they weren't willing to talk about. So, but yeah, that scene is come to th maybe that's why it took me out of it because it was too much Cold War and not enough mystery. That's possible. I mean, like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing your continued coverage of these movies especially when you eventually get to the rescuers down under because i did watch that after i watched this i'm like now nah, nah, i gotta watch the rescuers down under and see what right. i'm using and what i'm not so i did watch the rescuers down under it's gonna be a fun episode for you and for whoever you have on there i think that is my hardest uh thing to deal with while i am uh watching these is what i when i'm watching something and i'm like oh that reminds me of this movie i want to watch this movie right now i'm like no 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 the whole point is that you have not seen these movies in 20 years and you really need to be surprised. Yep. 
Yeah, you do. So, and the whole, we really didn't get into the whole VHS thing. So there was this whole VHS thing where things were going in the vault and out of the vault and uh-huh. and whatever. And this was one of those examples where this was one of the first movies that came out with the black label that we were discussing before. And then it went in 1992 and with the whole nude scene that you were talking about. And then it kind of went away. And then it came back in 1999 with the Masterpiece Collection when it came back in the vault. And then it went out again and it started this whole disney vault what's in and what's out now mm-hmm. and i'm kind of glad that we don't have that anymore with disney plus because they're just all available all the time or you can always buy it digitally somewhere so it's never really behind the vault where you can't get it yeah i i, I have to say i remember when my daughter was was little and trying to find a movie that i didn't like have and like going, oh, well, you can't buy Snow White because it's not in cycle right now. Um, and, and just kind of being annoyed with it. It's like, oh, well, I guess we have to just wait until it cycles back around. Um, and yeah, the Disney vault is a really interesting concept that they had. I don't know if it's like did. Uh, but yeah, it was funny because. I didn't see that it came out in 92. I saw that they released it in January of 99 and realized, oh, there's a naked lady, pulled it back and then released it again in March. Oh, I thought it was 92 that it was first released. And, and it was then... like that same amount of time that like the the Little Mermaid cover controversy was yeah. and the 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 sex in the stars and the Lion King. Like everything was like at that time. And I just don't remember the rescuers having the big kerfuffle that the others did. Well the rest yeah, the rescuers premiered on VHS and Laserdisc, by the way, in September of 1992 as part of the classic series, which is what we refer to now as the Black Diamond series. And then in April of 1993, it went out and then it came back again. I know it came back in 99 because that's the copy that I have. It came back in 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably had the Black Diamond edition and then my ex-wife had sold it. She, w- what she did is she was clearing out our apartment and uh, it, it was just, would you want this? And the rescuers, honestly, even back then, it was not one of the ones that I was like, yeah, I want to keep that. So she got rid of it. It wasn't to spite me or anything. And in a, in a uh, sale, she was a teacher. So she just took a, a laundry basket full of VHS tapes in and, and, you know, people, other teachers bought them for five bucks. Remember VHS yeah. tapes at the time, there were like 20, 30, 40 bucks, right. For a movie. Oh yeah. So, so she just sold that one. And, and I think I had the black diamond copy at the time and it was sold. So in, after my divorce in, in 1999, I was like, you know, I, I want that again. And I said, believe it or not, I still have it today. I've been trying to get rid of all my VHS tapes. It was a pandemic thing that I wanted to go through. And uh, yeah, I got about halfway through and uh, didn't do anything with the Disney stuff, even though I do have some VHS players still. But I, I the resolution alone of a VHS versus what you can get on Disney plus it's just like why do I even want to bother so I I just I need to get rid of these VHS tapes because there's literally no reason to have them other than uh, maybe the covers I guess I don't know yeah yeah unless you have that little mermaid one then keep it because I hear it's worth money Uh, and then sell it to someone and you know start a fund or something Um, 
but yeah, like I, I had all of these VHS. I think I had practically all of the Disney Canon on VHS. Um, and then someone broke into my apartment when I lived in Las Vegas and stole them all. So that was great. Um, uh, it's the whole drugs thing again, right? You, you got to sell the VHS tapes for drugs. Yeah, like uh, this is the year 2000 something. Why are you stealing VHS tapes that are Disney VHS tapes? Like of them, there is one that's worth money and it's the Little Mermaid. You can just take that one. They might not know. They might yeah, know. have known that. Yeah, some are worth money or whatever. Like I am holding in my hand my Robin Hood Black Diamond one and I have it because I like Robin Hood. I don't mm-hmm. have it because it is worth money and it is now because it's the first one that came out and i have beauty and the beast probably because i like beating the beast but the vhs isn't really worth anything you can go on ebay nowadays and there's a lot more copies available today than there was i think it's because because of the pandemic a lot of people are selling these often because technology is moving along i think people are selling them off so they're not worth the thousands of dollars that they might have been you're right the little mermaid is worth thousands of dollars and i think the original copy of the rescuers is worth a few hundred dollars but other than that it's it's 20 bucks for a vhs tape yeah, yeah. If you can prove that you had the the rescuers that has that scene, uh, that cell, really, like it was so hard to find. Uh, it was and it, two, like, it was literally two frames. Yeah, yeah. And and so I was telling this to my husband. He's like, "No, when did that get put on?" I was like, "It was put into the original." He's like, "Why was that?" I was like, "Because you can't see it. It's so fast that the human eye just like sees a figure in the in the window. You have to like." one space at a time and there there it is and i still kind of want to know how that came out because they like release it and they're like oh no 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 a bunch of repressed guys were in the animation shop and they just snuck it all the way through because their bosses weren't as attentive to detail on on the whole you know they, they weren't the bosses weren't looking at it frame by frame i don't know i'm just speculating i don't know yeah uh, who knows the whole don bluth team was a. Uh was a character at Walt Disney for one more movie. So, well, again, thank you very much for having me. This has been a blast. Oh, I have had a great time and I really, really appreciate you coming on and talking about the rescuers and breaking it down with me. Um, yeah. Any, any last thoughts or do you want to tell people where they can find you on social media and all your podcasts and such? Sure. You can always find me at gunnageek.com. That's G-O-N-N-A-G-E-E-K.com. All my podcast endeavors are there, including Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you're interested in the Marvel comic universes on screen, I also do better podcasting. So if you're a hobby podcaster like we are, you can find tips and tricks over there at Better Podcasting. And then if you like rocket science, if you're into this whole thing that SpaceX is doing right now, NASA going back to the moon, the new lander on Mars. We talk all about that in my segments on the guineageek.com show. So there's a lot of fun that I have in podcasting every week over there. Well, it has been super, super fun. And I I hope that you uh, keep watching Disney movies, even if they're not always great. But, uh, you know, watch the ones that you love more all the time. Sure. That's why I have Disney Plus to begin with. Same. Guest episodes, when available, will drop into your feed on Thursdays after the main episode about that movie is scheduled. Make sure you don't miss a single guest episode by hitting the subscribe button on wherever you're getting your podcasts right now. You can also get updates by following me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the username OofMyChildhood. 
A transcript of this episode will be available on my website, and if you check my YouTube channel, you'll find captioned videos. I do my best to provide a transcript and video as soon as this episode is published, but if this one isn't available yet, check my website for updates and a link to the appropriate video. My theme music was composed and played by Sean Rudolph of Let Music Be. For more information on that studio, you can visit their website at letmusic.be or visit my website for an easy link. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you come back each week to discuss Disney Through Modern Eyes. And while you're at it, if you're enjoying yourself, please let your friends know about me. I'd also appreciate a rating and review wherever you're listening to the show. This podcast was recorded with the help of the Craig Chatbot and edited by me. I release a new regular episode every Monday through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many, many other podcatchers. So until next time, keep the magic alive. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.